the next episode of Nerd Clicks and Chill will start in three, two, one, zero. Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Carrie. And we are Nerd Flicks and Chill. And in this podcast, we are going to talk about how the current pandemic is going to potentially impact the film industry in terms of how we see movies, in terms of how films are made, in terms of the types of stories that we see. You know, there's there are so many of us that are dealing with uh, the, the, the fallout and dealing with the things that have happened, are happening, and are going to happen with this whole thing. And, um, you know, we wanted to just try to take a, a swing at what our thoughts are on what the future... Um, of the film industry is going to be in these very uncertain times. Well, yeah, not even the potential impact. I mean, the impact is there. It's just how uh, how are they going to react? How how is this going to change what we know? You know, it's the impact is is all over it. And uh, yeah, I, I honestly. I don't know how it's going to look. And I think more than anything, I'm almost at this point, I'm almost more concerned with how production is going to look at this point. Because I think we're going to find that there's going to be a gap in what has already been produced. And then by the time everything is able to catch up, because production takes so long. I mean, it's... I don't know. It's something that I'm glad I don't have to figure out, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the film industry, it is a microcosm. What what the film industry is facing in terms of how it moves forward, you know, after this pandemic or while this while the coronavirus is still kind of, you know, in within our society, it is a microcosm of every other industry and every other situation. I mean, this thing has so many tentacles and it's so far reaching mm-hmm. that we really have to look almost in, in granular detail at, at everything. Um, I guess the first place, though, where this conversation starts is a conversation about movie theaters themselves. So yeah. I think the, the, the kind of alarmist position right now, and it may not be alarmist, it may be accurate. I think the first conversation is, are movie theaters dead? Are they dead now? Is this it? Is this the, is this the death rattle for the movie theater? Is the movie theater experience going to die? Let's talk about that first. I hope not. I really hope not. I mean, cause there's nothing like going to a theater and having that full big screen rich sound experience. I mean, there are some movies that excel in that kind of an environment. You know, there are some movies that it's like, I have to see that in the theater. And then there's some movies I was like, eh, I don't have to see it in the theater. I can watch it at home. I can wait till it's streaming, whatever it is. But there are just some movies like your big blockbusters just that all-encompassing surround sound. I mean, even people that have spectacular home theaters, you're not going to have that ceiling-to-floor giant screen unless you have the ability to project on the side of a building. You know? I think that yeah. it's just a unique experience, and I, I for one, don't want to see that go away. Yeah, I agree. There are some amazing movie theater experiences that I have had in my life, whether it was 
the uh, the crowd erupting during Avengers Endgame when Captain America pulls Mjolnir into his hand, or you know when the portals open up and all the Avengers come you know funneling out, or the opening notes of the Star Wars score when the crawl jets across the screen. Yeah, all of those things that just have this energy and you know those moments where you have this crowd kind of in anticipation those are incredible moments i think it was roger ebert who once talked about how like when you are watching a film at home the film like you have the film contained right but when you go to the movies the film contains you Mm. yeah and it's it's a it's a collective experience when you go to a full theater like that you know there's just some movies Again, that just lend themselves to having that shared experience. And honestly, in the state of things, I don't know how long it'll be before we are able to have something like that again. Yeah, that and there that is the tricky part of this, right? I mean, right now, some states have reopened and they're allowing movie theaters to reopen, but those theaters have nothing to show because the release schedule has been pushed. So yeah. The big question is when we hit July, what do those theaters kind of look like at that time? Because I know Christopher Nolan's movie Tenet is kind of the first big blockbuster that's going to come out during these kind of reopening phases. And then you have Disney pushing Mulan right, right behind that. So I think those are the kind of big questions that we have. But here's the thing that's kind of interesting about the movie theater conversation, about the viability of movie theaters. It is 100% true that movie theaters are struggling. Even the biggest chain in the world for movie theaters is massively in debt in spite of having, you know, the first studio to ever turn a $10 billion profit in a single year last year. Um, so th- there is a reality to the theater experience um, struggling. There is reality to the fact that there is more competition. But the movie theater industry has faced existential threats before. And I mentioned that Roger Ebert article because the most interesting part about that is that article was from 1980. And Mm. it was about how home video and how uh, television is infringing upon movie theaters. So they have faced these things before. Even the Great Depression was a big challenge to uh, the movie theater experience. As a matter of fact, that was the whole, the Great Depression is the whole reason why popcorn and concessions were brought into theaters. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was. It's weird because in the in those days of, of film, they were kind of treating movie theaters like you were going to see a Broadway show. Right. And they didn't, well, you know, had these nice carpets and they had all this stuff and they didn't want, you know, ground up popcorn on the floor and any of those kind of things. After the Great Depression happened, a lot of the uh, street vendors, because that's what would happen is people would get their popcorn from street vendors and go into the theater and, you know, sneak their snacks in. Um, after those vendors kind of disappeared during the Great Depression, theaters realized that they could not only bring concessions into the theater, but they can make a hell of a lot of money doing so. And that's where the bulk of their stuff comes, the bulk of their profits come from that. Even now in 2020, about 85% of concession uh, revenue is profit, whereas ticket sales is about 50%. So 46% of a theater's overall profit comes from concessions on average. Yeah. Well, believe it. They charge so much for popcorn and a soft drink. 
And one of the most interesting things about this movie theater discussion is this is actually not the first pandemic that the American movie theater industry has faced because Hmm. it did have the Spanish flu pandemic that it went through in 1918. And if you look at that and the way theaters um, reacted to that, there are some interesting parallels. But after the Spanish flu pandemic, it changed the movie industry forever. And are we at that point again? Because the studio system is what sprung from that period of time after the Spanish flu pandemic in the United States. Meaning what? What What was it that changed? Ah, uh, yes. So, okay. <laughs> this gets this gets a little, uh, it gets a little crazy. Okay. But it basically boils down to the fact that the, it, basically Hollywood was kind of created after that pandemic. Everything that we kind of knew of Hollywood, that golden age of Hollywood was established during that time. It was like kind of how movies were financed, how they were sold, how they were exhibited. It all changed. And a lot of that had to do um, primarily with uh, with one person, uh, this one guy, this guy named Adolf Zucker. And essentially okay. what he did is he's the one who kind of took charge of the lines of distribution. So the movie theater business, a lot of the theaters were kind of small theaters. They were mom and pop exhibitors at that time. And effectively what happened is this guy Adolf Zucker comes in from the movie business and, you know, he essentially got control of all of these theaters and used that pandemic as a way to kind of enact his plan. So that's where a lot of the relationships between movie theaters and studios became established. Mm, Okay. Now, how that ties into what we're going through now, I don't really know. But Mm. we've been through a pandemic once before in terms of the American film industry, and there was a massive change after. So is there some sort of change that balances the scales now after this pandemic, I think is the question. Well, I mean, I don't know if the structure of movie theaters or movie production studios is going to change. I think what's going to change is the distribution of that. And unfortunately, the one way that I, the one thing that I see in lacking in that distribution is, or who's going to benefit the least from that, I think is going to be the theaters themselves and how the theaters are going to overcome that. I'm not sure. Um, because I know that a lot of production companies or, um, just film companies are, you know, considering the direct to streaming. And a lot of those are either doing it independently or, you see these, um, like Apple TV, Netflix, you see, um, uh, NBC is doing their own streaming thing and HBO and they have partnerships with, you know, Universal and, um, you know, whatever falls under that umbrella, like Disney Plus with, you know, all of everything that falls under the Disney umbrella, which is massive right now. Um, and I see, those collaborations happening that way, but still it's leaving the theaters out of it. And 
I don't know if it, because it seems like everybody's coming up with their own streaming thing. Like there's a new streaming platform all the time, it seems like. But then it makes me wonder, would a theater do something like that? Like right now I have an unlimited movie pass through a certain theater. Would they do something like that? But it would be almost like Netflix, but say through Regal Cinemas, you know, and you get movies, what you would go in to see normally in a theater, but it's streamed to your home and it's a subscription like that. Yeah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think AMC Theaters does have something similar to that, mm. but I don't think it's done with uh, new films it's not done with anything that's currently well, not in yet theaters. that's what i'm saying is that something maybe that they would go to yeah i, I don't know the the platform is there but you know it, it's interesting too because when you look at the history of that because i was talking about this whole adolf zucker thing and, and how he took advantage of of the economic losses and the you know, after the, the Spanish flu pandemic, which, by the way, that dude was an asshole. He he was not he's not a hero, by the way, of of film history. He he did create the kind of system by which you control the exhibition and distribution of film. But he also did a lot of awful things by uh, putting a lot of female directors, a lot of black and Latin directors out of work. So he is not great. He also threatened to bankrupt a lot of mom and pop theaters, too. So uh, not not a hero in all of this. But that model that he created then mm. was uh, very much something that has been held onto and is now used by streaming services. So one of the things that kind of is, is impacting all this stuff is... I mentioned earlier, movie theater profits on ticket sales are about 50%. There are different tiers and all that other stuff, but about 50%. Now, that means the studio gets 50% of the box office. Whereas, when it comes to streaming, the take is closer to 80% to the studios. Hmm. And 30% to, I'm sorry, 20% to the, to the whatever platform it could potentially be. So, the... um scales are tipped towards the studios for for streaming so you will also have those arrangements that would potentially continue if like an amc theaters decided to uh enhance their 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 on-demand service to include new things i don't know how all of that is going you know you would have you would have negotiations and things like that but that could also be a new way forward it could be i think you would see the price of a movie go up because the theater isn't going to be getting that profit from your concessions. Sure. So, you know, but granted, I mean, if it's going to benefit families because they're not paying multiple tickets, but then it it doesn't benefit a single viewer, you know, if you're paying the same right. price to stream something. But, um, I mean, that's, that's something very similar to what we saw most recently with, for example, the Trolls um, World Tour movie mm -hmm. that was supposed to be released in theaters, and they decided, you know, we're going to do it direct to streaming. And I think it's one of the first, it's not necessarily the first movie that did it, because, I mean, the first movie that I can think of was... Um, the movie Maggie, which I actually just rewatched recently with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where it's this kind of pandemic zombie movie. I mm -hmm. remember that being in theaters, but they released it to stream at the same time. And it was the first time that I can think of that I knew something like that, that was, you know, semi big, I guess, doing that. And 
but for this Trolls World Tour, it was kind of like the perfect circumstance for it because you had all these people who are being locked down at home, kids not being in school, needing any kind of new entertainment. And this movie, it did way more in the box office than the original one did. And the original one was considered a success. You know, and this one, it, it did so much more. And I think I remember seeing that to rent it, it was like 20 bucks. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going to rent that. Because for a single a one person to rent it, that's not great. But for an entire family, that's a steal. Yeah. So it did an amazing job. I guess the question becomes price point, though, right? Like yeah. 20, 20 bucks for trolls, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, th- that is a price point that they found. But they also have like a, a totally captive audience of people at home. Yeah. But like Avengers Endgame, if you were to have released that, or even Black Widow, a film that's not even out yet. Like, or Wonder Woman, okay, you know. Are you going to charge 20 bucks for that? But then you have somebody come over. They have 10 of their friends come over. And you have like a, a Black Widow party at your house. And you've only got as a studio, $20 going to your revenues. Whereas had you had all those people, you could have had, you know, significantly more. So there are questions of price point there. Like, would you pay, would you pay 40 bucks to watch Black Widow in your home instead of a theater? Mm, Probably not. Unless I was, unless that was the only way that I was going to see something new for a while. Maybe I got to that point. But then again, what do you spend at the theater in popcorn, a soda, and your movie ticket, right? Like, yeah, so, at least 20, 30 bucks. Yeah, there's Easy. all this stuff with, with price points that, that has to be determined, too. Right. Um, and, and I think that's that's definitely part of the conversation. But again, like streaming is more of a threat to the film industry than home video was. Yeah. But the film industry, like the movie theater industry itself, they, they just kind of look at it as like, this is just another blip. In, you know, every decade, it's like there's a new blip that they face. You know, home video, blockbuster, Netflix, and now, you know, streaming and on demand, you know, they, they're they still there. Well, I know it's something that's been under consideration for a while. I mean, we talked about this on one of our episodes probably two, three years ago, because it's something that I believe was Steven Spielberg was talking about it. Um. You know, saying that the future of movies is going to be totally different because of the, you know, being able to stream and and having things like Netflix. I mean, because of the situation that we're in right now, the Motion Picture Academy has deemed that streaming services like Netflix, movies that are on there are eligible for Oscars now. Whereas before it was just, it was not just, I mean, I make it sound like I'm downplaying it, but it was Emmys they were able to get an Emmy because it was considered like television. Right. You know, but I mean, but think of it that way too. What if, um, you know, there's movies, if they're not going to be able to have distribution at a theater, would somebody who's wanting to make a movie then be more apt to pitch it to something like Amazon prime or Netflix or right. Apple plus. Right. And I mean, not because, only that, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, because then, I mean, for your consumer, your price point is perfect because you're only paying what 10 bucks a month on average instead of paying 10 bucks a pop for right. each thing you want to watch. So, right. 
and and that leads into kind of another layer of this whole conversation a lot of the times the things that get nominated for awards they're not necessarily the biggest blockbusters i mean sometimes you get that crossover where a film that's nominated has a tremendous amount of success or a lot of them become successful after they get their nominations and things like that but what you run into are the difficulties of independent film and international language film which people don't go see so if they don't really go see those in the theater you you don't really have a whole lot of places for distribution and as we move forward the theaters are going to try everything they can to turn a profit and i just don't see them taking a chance on something like in the way that parasite came out this year and it's a terrific movie uh, i don't know that theaters would necessarily take their chances on a parasite because you have something that's in an international language, and a lot of people don't like reading subtitles and whatever, whatever, whatever. Do you really want that taking up space in your theater when you could have, you know, some animated flick that you know they're going to pack a lot of children into? So what happens to those super talented independent filmmakers who have their films that may not be able to get shown? Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Apple. <laughs> you right. Know? And so yeah. does that mean we have two competing? Like, is it, is it, is that where we end up? Where it just coexists, where you have some first run movies that you're going to watch on streaming for the big stuff you're going to go out to the theater? Is that where we're heading? You know, honestly, I would say likely, yeah. I mean, because even now, um, the only movies that I really see that pack people in are those big blockbusters. You go to any other movie, even if it's on opening night, and the theater is less than half full. Right. You know, and a lot of times there's only just a tiny smattering of people that are in the theater. Um, even though it may be a very successful movie or a very, you know, um, a highly rated movie or you know critically acclaimed there's still not a lot of people that are going and everybody goes and buys all these crazy amounts of tickets for star wars for your marvels for your dc movies for anything that's really big like that so i think people do see the value of seeing a movie like that in a theater but now that we have the streaming stuff you're going to go and see your little indie flicks or your rom-coms and dramas and things like that. Even a horror movie, I think people are more apt to see it at home because it's even creepier. Right. Um, people don't necessarily see the value because it's – you don't you don't need to see something. I don't know why the movie Bridget Jones' Diary popped in my head. I hate that movie. But you're not going to see something like that so much in the theater. Like, I don't need to. It doesn't need that big, booming sound, you know? It's like, I can just watch that on my TV, and it's just as satisfying. Mm. So I think, yeah. you know, I, I, I really do think it's going to start going more that way. But does that mean, then, that for theaters to stay afloat, are we going to be getting more of those types of movies? Because... You know, I, I don't think there's there's enough of those movies to go around to keep a theater open all the time. Right. And so many conversations that I have had um, about the economic ramifications of COVID-19 always kind of lead into, like in my own, you know, everyday job, the conversations about the kind of basic fundamentals of these different industries they're all needing to be rethought because another thing that we haven't even touched on yet is 
the economic ramifications of this are still unknown, and a lot of people are seeming to suggest it's going to get worse before it's going to get better on the economic front, which means that people will likely have less disposable income. Do they want to shell out that money to go to a theater, lay down money, and, you know, buy the popcorn and do all those things, uh, especially at a time where the virus is kind of still out there, too. So yeah. you're going to have all these other different standards. I mean, are theaters going to require people to wear masks? Do Maybe they don't want to go out and wear a mask. There's all of those different components to it as well. Well, yeah, I mean, how are you going to eat your concessions if you have a mask on? Right, right. <laughs> how know? are you going to, yeah. You're yeah. going to spend $20 bucks for the popcorn, you don't want to wear a mask. I mean, the other part of it, too, is that movie theaters as a whole also run on relatively as, as minimal staffing as possible. Mm-hmm. You have very few people working in a movie theater. They, they have to keep their labor low um, because their profit margins are so thin. So w- with these new standards about social distancing and having to open up seats and having lower capacities in your theaters, which means you have less revenue coming in and you have higher uh, cleaning standards that you have to maintain. So your cost of cleaning supplies is going to increase. Like it's, it's all of those things. And oh, yeah. when will the public have the money and be comfortable sitting in a theater? Oh, I mean, that's, that's a question for almost every industry right now. You know, exactly. when we're talking oh, about theme so parks opening up hotels, like where where do you think people are going to come from to right. partake in your business? Same thing with movie theaters, although I think movie theaters is a bit more viable than, say, a, a theme park or a hotel because that caters more to your local people. But I think the days of these giant multiplexes with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of seats in them is probably going to change i mean it already has changed where you've had these theaters that are these you know normally hundred you know massive theaters filled with seats that are now downsizing because they are okay they've got these luxury recliners and things like that it's like you know what that's what you watch at home that's how you watch a movie at home well you can come here and watch it that way right um so i think we're going to see some more downsizing of things. And um, another thing that some movie change have been doing more and more often that we may see, especially during the, I think when we're going to have this downtime or this gap between films being released. Um, I know like Regal, for example, they do a lot of special engagement things where there are Broadway productions, um, plays and musicals and opera and ballet that have been professionally filmed that they do these special limited engagements where you can go to the movie theater and watch it. You know, you're not going to be able to go to the opera in Vienna, but here Uh it is, you know, in Orlando or whatever. So I think we may see even more of things like that. Um, but how is that turnover? How is that maintenance of the theater going to look like? I mean, especially when you're not going to want to have people sitting next to each other. So you're, you're going to have to sit like every other seat. Um, I don't know. And then when you have your staff come in, they're going to have to clean every seat, whether they know somebody was sitting in it or not. Right. So your turnover between movies is going to be huge. Right. Um, they're not going to be able to turn one movie over after another anymore. Um, 
so yeah, I think we're going to see less showings. I think we're going to obviously less capacity in a the theater, but I think the theaters to compensate for that are going to downsize and, you know, add in more of those big comfy uh, chairs. And, you know, if your theater hasn't done it already, I'm sure we're probably going to go in and see reserved seating and not being able to sit all together in a group. And yeah, it'll make it tricky. I, I mean, I'm sure there are ways that they'll be able to handle all the seating stuff. It'll definitely make it tricky, but I think you have make a great point, especially about the turnaround time, because yeah. with all these new cleaning procedures that they're going to have, they will have to spend more time turning a theater over for the next uh, group. Now, I think one thing that could help with that, <laughs> I, I think one thing, if depending on how all this works out, one thing that, that may help movie theaters with that is the elimination of end credit scenes. <laughs> right. Because yeah. you might be able to give some of those people like maybe eight to ten extra minutes of getting in there to clean up. <laughs> Damn you, Marvel. Yeah, now it's just, now after a Marvel movie ends, like hardly anybody gets up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that could be one way to to help these people out. But yeah, I mean, you make a great point. I mean, the, the theater experience is going to be downsized for a while. You're going to have yeah. less screenings with less people. There's a... Uh, a theater that I go to, a very there popular is. AMC theater. Uh, mm. I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. Their yeah, biggest sure house is 500 seats. So if they reopen, is um, it only 500? Po- yeah, 500 like so for their big house. That. Yeah, they have two of them. Yeah, they do. They have a uh, yeah, and I think they're so going way back. And so for those of you guys who have listened to the show for a while, one thing that I have not mentioned is I had a job a long, 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 long time ago, way back in the early two thousands, where I had to go to movie theaters and observe trailers and report audience reactions to the trailers. And uh, that theater was one of the ones that I had to go to to do it. So I had mm-hmm. all the theater capacities. I got a list of all of them, so I knew exactly how many people were in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, and so that one is like 500. The other one is like 490. They're basically the same. Yeah. But a 500 person theater, if you're only allowed 25% <laughs> occupancy, yeah. you're talking about 125 people in that massive space. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. That's not, it's just not enough. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is this also going to change at the same theater? They do the dine in theater stuff yeah they're probably not going to do that anymore yeah i don't know how i don't know how you do it Mm -mm. you know it it, again it's it's all new i mean and and obviously some of these measures could be temporary but i mean i i hope so i mean if they're saying there's not going to be a vaccine until 2021 as being an optimistic projection Mm -hmm. i mean i know they'll rush to get the the vaccine out there but there might be phases of vaccines, and when the vaccine comes out, there may not be enough doses to cover 300 million people. It's not going to. You know, it's going to be politicians and rich people are the ones that are going to get it first. People in the right. medical industry, first responders, and it'll be a while before it trickles down to regular yeah, people t- like Until it's me. readily <laughs> available to the public. It's not just yeah. having a vaccine, it's the availability of it, yeah. too. So, yeah. yeah, you know, and even if that's two years from now, you still have to kind of go into this survival mode for two years, and yeah. a lot of other industries are going to be doing the same thing. So I think the big question marks remain about the disposable income that people have, you know, what your profit percentages are looking like. I mean, there are some businesses out there, and they're not movie theaters, but there are some that look and they say... 
I can't operate my restaurant at 25% and turn a profit. So what is the point of even opening right now in this yep. phase of reopening anyway? I'm just going to wait another month before yeah. I reopen. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that makes me really concerned for really small indie theaters. You know, like there's one not far from where I live. That's a very small indie theater. They do um, film festivals and they do, um, you know, really interesting independent films and artistic re-releases and things like that. These special engagements. And this this is going to devastate them. Right. You know, if, if you have a giant theater chain like AMC that was already struggling, that is really struggling now. How are these wonderful little independent theaters going to survive through all of this? It's going to take a lot of creativity and innovation. And uh, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the one that has to try and figure it out. Um, but it's all going to be a crapshoot. I mean, it, none of it's going to be guaranteed. There's not, there's not a playbook for this. Nope. There's definitely not. And and unfortunately, you're going to have to take a chance and see what works. And if, you know, it, it, it's a gamble. It's a well, total gamble. And even prior, even prior to COVID-19, movie theaters found themselves having to kind of ask the question, how do we get people to come out to our theater? How do we get them away from their, you know, their giant TVs and their, their comfortable sofas in their homes to get them to come to a place where they may have to pay for parking, where they may have to fight through crowds, wait in lines and to do these things. You know, how do we get them to do that? And that's why that, you know, you've seen over the years theaters attempting to do that with things like the, the um, seat service at some theaters and you see yeah. the recliners. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're seeing them doing like enhanced cocktails and enhancing the, the food options that are available. The recliners, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, yeah, it's not just popcorn and candy bars anymore. Yeah, yeah, and and they're trying that. I I don't necessarily know how successful that is, but those were the questions that they were asking before this. Now the question becomes how do you do all that with these kind of um public mitigation factors that we have to take into consideration, yeah. people having less disposable income and then people just their own confidence in going out. Sure, some people are just going to, they'll want to run to the movie theater right away. No doubt about it. I have no doubt. There are people that are, I, you know, you may, you may call them reckless. You know, I, I, I would not argue that. Um, but there are people that will run out there right away, but that is not everybody. Yeah. There are people who will be reluctant. There, there are. And I mean, especially right now. Um, I know the, the movie theaters in the area where we live, are not open, but they are in others. And I have, um, I have not seen yet what that it's looked like. Um, I know, for example, in our area, there's a giant shopping mall that's opened and it's normally stupid busy and very full. Now, granted, a lot of people that normally go there are tourists, but it is a massive popular mall and they opened the other day and I was really, really nervous that a lot of people were just, you know, full of cabin fever, just needing to get out. And it, it's like a double edged sword. Like I was really happy that it wasn't, that it wasn't busy, but at the same time, 
you've got all these stores and vendors and everything with no income with no sales happening Mm -hmm. and it's like i think movie theaters and malls it's all gonna suffer i mean restaurants are great that they're able to do takeout and delivery and you know things like that so there's a lot of businesses that are working to overcome this but there's some that i just you know you have massive companies like j crew that are filing for bankruptcy you know they were struggling malls and such were struggling anyway because of online retailers yeah and you know i just i think um unless there's some kind of like massive store events and sales and i i think us as the consumer we are the ones that will benefit from any kinds of changes like this because yeah. they're going to have to incentivize us to get there, but then also guarantee our safety as well. Yeah, you can definitely expand this conversation into a a more broad discussion about mm-hmm. the the economic structure of America and yeah. how technology fits into it and how people are doing less person-to-person transactions and they, they want to just order something and have it show up on their doorstep in an hour or in a day. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all part of it too. And I think that's what makes it so difficult. Like ultimately, am I ready to write off movie theaters and say that they're dead? No, not really. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the situation is extraordinarily complicated and extraordinarily difficult that it's not just like a faucet that you turn back on. It's more like a freight train and it takes a long time to slow the train down and it takes a long time to start the train up again. Yeah, I'm not ready to write them off, but then at the same time, if they were to open today, I'm not ready to jump right out there. Right. Like, have you ever been go. in a movie theater and you hear just somebody like two rows over just hacking up a lung? Yeah. If you yeah. hear that now, what happens then? I don't know. I don't know. I just, it, it I, I hesitate to even just go out of my apartment these days because anytime I step outside my door and touch anything that's outside my door, it's like, okay, that uh, sickness watch restarts again from zero. (laughs) Right. You know, it's like, okay, now I'm on watch for the next 10 to 14 days waiting to see if I get a sore throat or something. Um, And that that is enough to make me not want to leave. That is enough to make me not want to go and do the things that I did regularly because I don't want to take that chance. Right. And that in itself is probably enough to make me spend 20 bucks to see something like Black Widow or Wonder Woman instead of having to go outside my door. Right. Yeah. I, you know, and I think, and and obviously there are certain things that can change, you know, maybe there is a vaccine or maybe there are drugs that, that, you know, can treat it. Maybe there are, you know, other mitigating things that are out there. Maybe we ramp up antibody testing and maybe there are all of those things too that, that could, you know, dramatically improve our ability to, to, to get back to as close to normalcy as we can. There's also the other possibility that we find out things get worse. You know, there are all these stories about this potential, um, uh, new kind of disease that they're finding that, that children are starting to suffer from. And like, mm. there are, there are all of those other different potential impacts because we just don't simply know enough yet to really, to really have a firm grip on, on the, the danger that's out there. 
Yeah. Which is tricky. And, it, you know, every business has to adapt to it. And, you know, we spent all this time talking about movie theaters and how th- films are exhibited. But but we also should talk about how they are made. Yeah. You know, yeah, how- I mean, there's no social there's no social distancing in that. Right. SNL did a great sketch on that, by the way. Oh, did they? I, I haven't seen. I know that they did their, you know, SNL from home and uh, that it was it was I I really have to hand it off to um, like a lot of the late night hosts and even daytime shows and, you know, live sketch shows like SNL that it's just amazing how they've are yeah. really becoming innovative with all the, of this. I the applaud SNL all the sketch, creativity. The SNL sketch was actually prior to it was with their last live show. And they did kind of a thing about a social distancing, like, soap opera, where, like, somebody went to brush somebody's, like, hair, and they had, like, this extended arm thing, or (laughs) they went to kiss, and there's, like, a big pane of glass between them. It was, it was pretty funny. Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. I derailed you. No, no, no. I, I didn't see that one. That's funny. I might have to look it up. Um, but I mean, I just think of, like, for me as being a puppeteer, when you're puppeteering and you have puppets in the shot, you're all up in each other's business. You're literally on top of each other. Right. Um, you know, and I, it's brilliant that things like, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little plug here, but things like, um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 just recently did a live streaming show, which, which stay tuned because we are going to have one of the producers of that live streaming show and Crow on our show coming up soon. Super excited. Um, I'm, I can't wait. And um, other things like Fraggle Rock has come back and is on Apple, Apple TV, and they sent each of the puppets to each of the performers' homes, and they are producing it and filming it themselves. It's amazing. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of really innovative and interesting stuff that's going on and if i can add to that the parks and rec reunion show which was absolutely fabulous well and that's the thing too is that you can do these reunion shows they just did a goonies um streaming thing um and then coming up soon i think in just a matter of days they're doing a back to the future one I mean, and that's the beauty of all of this is that you can do these reunion things and you don't have to fly anybody in. You don't, you know, nobody's schedule is full and you don't have to pay for catering or any of this other kind of stuff that comes right. along with it. It's just, you're setting up a Zoom meeting or, you know, Skype or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of this stuff that's been happening that I think is just really innovative and it's really cool to see. And I love all these online concerts and stuff that are happening um, as a result. But man, I got to say, I'm really looking forward to watching TV again when it doesn't look like the opening of the Brady Bunch. Right. Yeah. But I love, I mean, I love what they're doing, but it's like, I miss, you know, seeing actual interactions. It's so weird to go back and watch a TV show or a movie and you see it's like you know a big theater stadium full of people and it's like oh it makes me feel itchy right now right yeah (laughs) but you know and that's the thing too is like 
when can we get back to production? When can we get back to to how things are made and how post-production is done? You know, maybe we're learning some things in the post-production process. I did see... Well, post-production, I think it's pre pre and post-production. No problem. Yeah. Because you've got somebody in front of a computer screen or you can do teleconferences, whatever. Pre and post-production, no problem. I mean... Some problem, but not as much of a problem as actual production itself. Um, yeah, that's, I was that's watching a huge problem. Taika Waititi do the live stream of um, uh, the watch party Thor for Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, and one of the things that he actually talked about there is how he's trying to use the time at home to kind of reassess and reevaluate the script that he's working on for it. Mm. And he thinks that the time has actually been, you know, helpful to him creatively in terms of, of how he's been able to go back and take a look at the script. And I thought that's kind of interesting that, that he can take that time to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's been really interesting in all of this because there's a lot of other noise that, encompassed our lives that's not there and i've it's been this is getting off of our of of the topic at hand but it's just it's been so interesting because without all that other noise of our daily lives from before all of this people have been a lot of people um even though insomnia has been rampant and sleep cycles are all over the place that when you actually do get sleep probably some of the deepest sleep i have ever had Hmm. like sleep has been so deep dreams have been off the charts crazy and very vivid so there's been a lot of creativity that all of this has sparked um and so quite honestly I guess as a pre-production thing, I'm really curious as to what comes out because of all of this. Because it's usually this these kinds of collective um, situations that bring forth the most amazing stories and creativity and pieces of art. And I mean, look at... In history, like the Renaissance period, for example, you know, everything that happened, like after the plague, there's this massive Renaissance, which is really funny. I saw a meme just again off topic, but I saw a meme just recently that was hilarious. And it's like, okay, so after the plague, there was the Renaissance period. Now I understand why it's all full of people laying around with their tits out. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Um, But yeah, but look at all of these massive booms of creativity that happen after Mm -hmm. things like this you know so i'm i'm looking forward to that and um you know what happens in the meantime i don't know i i hate that everything seems just on hold it's just this massive um treading water this massive um I don't know, this massive black hole where we don't know what's going on. It's so difficult to plan anything. Yeah. What are plans? I don't even know what plans are anymore. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's interesting because I'm also curious as to not just the creativity, but like the kinds of stories that we will turn to. Like, if Avengers Endgame came out a few months from now, 
how would we feel as a society about it? Like, I feel like there, like, will we turn more to stories about heroism or just yeah. closeness or, you know, the, the, the person to person connections, you know, all of those different stories. And there are many in the pipeline. A lot of them are currently delayed, but there are many of those that are kind of in the pipeline. And I, I'm curious as to what kind of art people seek out in these kind of post-coronavirus uh, times, you know? Will they look for things that are inspirational? Like, I know you and I, we've been covering, you know, Westworld and talked, you know, throughout the Westworld season, how it's a little bit challenging watching something about a dystopian future when you're living in a dystopian present. Yeah, exactly. I want escapism. I want something lighthearted. I want comedy. I want something that's empowering and hopeful and yeah i don't want to see things like hunger games and you know right. I, I, I don't want to watch contagion even though i just right. watched that the other day and it was really bizarre um I, I don't want pandemic movies i don't want horror movies i don't want the walking dead right. you know i want something that's going to take me away from this and not make me realize how much what i'm going through is like what's happening on screen i don't yeah. want that I was watching The Rise of Skywalker the other day and mm. um you know and I I I really like that movie. I there are things some things that don't make any sense to me and that's fine. It's still Star Wars and I love it. I don't care. Um but there are some things that you know don't make sense in that script, but uh yeah. there's that whole bit where you know Poe is like there's just too many of them. I'm sorry. You know, and then you hear Lando come on. He says, "Yes, but there's more of us." And yeah. I needed to hear that in a weird way. I just mm. remember that in that moment feeling so uplifted by that one little silly line. Um, yeah. Because that's my connection to art and storytelling. Is like, I want things that are aspirational and that give me, like you said, a little bit of hope. Yeah, overcoming the odds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, I, I, and I don't know if there are other people out there like me that are going to turn to those kind of stories that are full of aspiration and hope. I hope they do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 just, I don't want to see Terminator right now. Uh, no. we're, we're too close to being on that path anyway. I love Terminator. It's a great movie, but like time and place, Skynet. Yeah. It's coming. We'll deal with you later. Yeah. Right don't now. Don't want to watch just... Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there are all of those things too that to consider is not just how do things get made, but the types of things that get made. Yeah. As a puppeteer, what have you thought of the the stuff that you've seen Sesame Street put out and the the you know the different things there? You mentioned Fraggle Rock, but I know they've put mm -hmm. out some videos. I know uh Abby Cadabby has made some appearances somewhere. There's a great video of yeah. Kermit the Frog singing Rainbow Connection. Leslie. Yeah. What do you think of that yeah. stuff? No, I think it's great and I'm very proud and happy for my friends that are able to do it. Uh, it just sucks because now production is, I thought these kinds of gigs were hard to get before. Now they're really hard because nobody is able to work. No, I think it's, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's innovative, innovative, and I'm glad that they are able to keep it going. I think it's mind blowing that they started something new, like bringing back Fraggle Rock right now. And I got to tell you, that's one of the best kept secrets. I mean, it had been a rumor for the longest time, for years, that Fraggle Rock was going to come back. But the fact that it came back right now, it's like it it was perfect. It was perfect because it 
you know, we just mentioned that people are so hungry for new entertainment, new things to watch. I mean, how many times do you see on Facebook every day people are like, okay, I've watched this and this and this. What do I watch now? I mean, there's so much stuff to watch, but at the same time, we have nothing but time. So anytime there's something new, it's like people are all over it. And to bring back something that's nostalgic, that's another thing with a genre that I think is going, we're going to see even more of our nostalgic things re-envisioned because it brings back feelings of those happy times. That's why we're seeing these reunion shows, Parks and Rec and the Goonies and Back to the Future, things like that. And, you know, Fraggle Rock coming back. So this is just a snippet I'm assuming that we're just seeing these little tiny shorts that they're doing. But then, you know, once they're able to, I'm sure they're going to ramp up to the really big productions um, like the original Fraggle Rock was. Um, I I love what they're doing. I think it's yeah. awesome. There's there's um, some local puppet groups that are doing things um, where they're streaming things online. There's people that um, are doing like zoom meetings you know for kids and their classrooms um or their at-home classrooms um there's a puppet group that i am involved with that we've done tons of educational videos that were just picked up by pbs which is really awesome they have a whole and i'm not i'm not trying to plug this but um they just posted I don't know what five of our videos or something and they have like this it's like PBS learns I should know what the website is and I don't but it's like the PBS learning site and it's available to schools and um but also anybody can stream these things it's so cool what is being done um I mean as far as puppetry goes but traditionally with a lot of these productions like I said, with puppeteers, we're all up in each other's business. Usually, you know, it's yeah, everybody's armpit in your face and you're crawling right. all over each other to fit in a tiny space. Um, so, you know, it's uh, I can't I can't wait to get back to that. Yeah, because I was I was in the middle of a production and we had to stop. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to to get back to those kind of things. But I'm happy to see that there is innovation that's happening, even though it's drastically downsized everything. But I'm glad mm -hmm. to see that it's still there because it's keeping that interest alive so that when it is able to be ramped back up, you know, it's it's people are really going to be hungry for it. Yeah, I think that is true. I think one of the 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 things about this whole pandemic that's been um, I don't know if it's been surprising or anything like that. I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say it's shocking or depressing or, or, or depressing. I think the, the toll that this is exacting on, on people is what's depressing and, and makes me sad. But one of the, the things that is worth noting is this is one of the first times that something has happened to us that has basically kind of crippled, um, crippled us artistically and culturally where mm -hmm. there, you know, there are no theater performances. Broadway is dark. You have, can't go see a movie in the theaters. Can't make a movie right now. Really? Yeah. You know, even sports, you know, you don't have sports as an outlet right now. And I think that we are challenged with that idea that, that culturally there's not a whole lot that's happening right now. And I think that's um, another thing that speaks to, to really how shitty these times are. 
Oh, I, I, I actually, it's funny that we, uh, I posted something on my Facebook saying I was kind of in a funk today and I was really hoping, you know, you and I are doing this podcast that was getting me out of this funk. And I was just mentioning friends of mine that do, uh, Fraggle Rock and my friend Frankie Cordero, who's Wembley Fraggle on the new Fraggle Rock just messaged <laughs> me. And I was like, Oh, did you know, did you realize I was just talking about you? <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you know, just going back to what I had said earlier, um, just that in, in times like these, it's when the most creative people really end up doing some of the most amazing and creative things because it's that it, it's <laughs> it's going to sound weird, but it's it's why the original Star Wars a New Hope, Episode 4, whatever you want to call it. The new Star Wars, it's why that is so much better than the prequels. Because they had to make stuff up. They had to figure it out. They had to be innovative. And that kind of ingenuity, to me, it exudes on screen. And it, it's those kinds of things that I think that this is going to breed. You know, you're having to figure things out. You're having to be creative. You're having to be a problem solver. And I think the best stuff comes from that. It comes from that adversity. It comes from those difficulties because sometimes some of the best things that you wouldn't have otherwise thought of comes forth. And I can't wait to see what it is that happens because of that. And it's like, that is the one little thing right now that's giving me that little tiny glimmer of hope. You know, I, I can't wait to see what, um, what results from all of this, because it's, it's not all going to be doom and gloom. It's what it feels like sometimes. Absolutely. But, you and know, I, I can't wait to see. That's also why it's so important for people to indulge some escapism Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was so great about the MST3K special uh, that they had the other day, which I, I really, really enjoyed the Parks and Rec special. Oh, but so good. Even going back, I've been kind of dipping back into to older things that I haven't watched in a while. Even getting back into like Lord of the Rings and other stuff like that. And you know, I'm still I'm still reading the Wheel of Time series right now. Seven books in, almost halfway. Oh um, my gosh! I you know that's halfway. Yeah, yeah. There's 14 oh, books. Good lord. Uh, we yeah we we have to talk about that with with that show sometime. Oh, uh, that might be a one sided like. conversation. <laughs> um, but you know, in in indulging in that kind of escapism i think is is very very healthy especially for uh the amount of time that we're spending at home disconnected from one another feeling uncertain about the future i think it's important for uh people to kind of indulge that escapism and just take time to decompress and and get away from some of the reality of it i think that's that's very helpful and also i mean you know we're talking about you know film and we're talking about you know, what the industry is going to look like, but that's also in a way a position of privilege. And, and I recognize that in terms of like, there are still many people out there that are sick and hospitalized or on the front lines kind of fighting sickness. And, you know, because of their efforts, we're able to kind of have silly conversations about movies. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that always comes to mind is that when there's any, when there's any kind of problem, any kind of tragedy, any kind of, um, 
cutbacks or, you know, setbacks that have to happen. It's always the arts that suffer first. You know, when you have a school that has to cut back on their funding, it's they always cut out art and band and, you know, music and chorus, things like that. Um, At the theme parks, any time that they have to make any budget cuts, it's always the entertainment that gets cut first. You know, they're going to ramp up their food and beverage and their retail, but it's, you know, um, they're going to cut entertainment first. But then when the clouds start to clear, the figurative clouds start to clear and people are able to consume more or even while this is going on what people are craving are the arts people are wanting music people are wanting um new shows and and things so i think there's going to be an even more um demand for any kind of escapism and entertainment so um you know, as as much as it seems like I don't know how they're going to come out of this, they are going to come out of this because people are going to be craving that. How is it going to look like? And at what point do we all feel comfortable in doing that? I have no idea. Right. But I know that the want for that kind of entertainment and escapism and just to shut your mind off and not listen to the news and you know anything like that you're i i think the, the demand is is going to be overwhelming yeah and uh yeah i can't wait things will job. <laughs> things will eventually um move on like people yeah. will endure the world will move forward albeit dramatically changed in a lot mm-hmm. of ways Um, We will be a little um, heartbroken and a little uh, less whole than we were before, but we will move into a newer uh, future and hopefully people will still be seeking out inspiration and aspiration that we get from stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we all just have to be open to change and realize that the quote unquote normal that we had before might not ever exist again. And that's okay. You know, whatever it is that we're going to move forward towards could be bigger and better for everybody. So um, it's trying to maintain that positivity, maintain that hope and, and be open to change because there's going to be a lot of changes. Don't be so resistant to it because that's going to make it a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Change is inevitable. I but feel better after this. Yeah. Change is inevitable, but art indoors, story indoors. Yep. And, um, yep. we will, we will move forward just doing the best we can and we'll be here to talk about it. Yes. All right. So, uh, you guys have heard our thoughts on all of this stuff that's going on with film and how the industry is going to move forward and the kinds of films that we're going to start seeing and all of that good stuff. But I'm curious what your thoughts are. So hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at Netflix Chill. You can you know, let us know all your thoughts there. Um, in addition to that, you can check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you're listening on one of those platforms, throw us a five-star review. Uh, you can also check out all of our new stuff at lrmonline.com. And while you're there, throw us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Wanted to thank you guys all for joining us uh, for this conversation. Until next time, may the force be with you because the night is dark and full of terrors. 